The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Hey, welcome to Fathom. Uh, If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, grab a hold of them, open them up, and we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 2. Uh, 2 Samuel 2, you can open a phone or a tablet there. Uh, There are hardback black Bibles under every chair that you could open up to 2 Samuel chapter 2. You'll find that on page 255. Uh, But 2 Samuel 2 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, As you are finding 2 Samuel chapter 2, you ever find yourself uh, watching a television show, TV show, uh, maybe your favorite show or whatever, and you get to an episode uh, that seems a bit bizarre and like halts progress of the overarching narrative of the show? You ever find yourself in, in, in the middle of a season and you're like, what was that episode? You ever find yourself there? Uh, I have, uh, and normally I say, what was the purpose of that? I hated that episode. Like normally that's where I go. It's like, I want to keep moving forward. I want the story to keep progressing. Uh, And that episode felt like it was a piece of trash. Uh, In the world of television, that's known as something, just so you're aware. Uh, Those episodes have gained a rather negative term. They're called filler episodes, filler episodes. And in a, in a season of television, there are often these filler episodes. Uh, and that's a kind of a pejorative title, but there's often more than meets the eye to a filler episode. Even if it doesn't seem to be pushing the narrative forward as fast as you might like it, a filler episode can actually provide an opportunity like to clarify some of the main themes of the show or even deeper, uh, do a deeper dive into specific characters or character traits uh, in those people. And so 2 Samuel chapters 2 through 5 is really one big unit. The next three chapters are really one big unit, and they are sometimes seen as like filler chapters. Uh, they're just, there's not a lot of stories in there that you're familiar with. It's just kind of a strange little three-chapter section. And I don't mean that in, a, in the negative way that TV shows talk about filler episodes because these next three chapters are David slowly but steadily assuming the role of king king of Israel. Uh, But it just doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. And these will be far from kind of simply throwaway sermons the next couple of weeks, okay? Uh, So while you might not even remember these stories, uh, or you may never have ever read these stories, or almost certainly you've probably never heard sermons preached on these chapters, uh, I really believe that God has important stuff for us in these filler chapters. And I'll, and I'll show you that today. So here we go. Second Samuel chapter two, we're gonna pick it up in verse one. Let's go. Second Samuel two, one. After this, now let's stop there, okay? <laughs> After this, just so you are aware, you need, anytime you see any kind of marker in a text that talks about something else, you do need to pause and say, what are they talking about? After what? After this, okay? Remember, David, at this point, knows that Saul is dead. He found out last week in chapter one that Saul was dead, and now David has the crown of the king of Israel in his hands, and he is now posed to be the next king of Israel. But do you remember where he is located physically at this moment? Okay, nobody knows. Uh, I'm really doing my job well. 
He is in a, in a territory called Ziklag, Ziklag, which is in the Philistines' land, okay? He is living in the enemy's territory. He's not in Israel. He's not in the promised land. He's with the enemies of God's people. And now the option has opened up because of Saul's death for David to return home. Saul's dead. And so the question is, what's David going to do? After this, okay, that's the this. After this, verse one, David inquired of the Lord. Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, to which shall I go up? And he said, to Hebron. Okay, this verse is chock full of information for us. It says that David inquired of the Lord. And this piggybacks on what we saw last week. But, but, but David is in full submission to God. He's in full submission to God. He does not want to move a muscle, even out of Ziklag, unless God is leading him in that direction. So he inquires of the Lord. And you're like, well, pastor, I would definitely follow God if he were this clear with me. Like if he were this clear with me, I would do it, okay? Because it's like, if, if, if I ask God, God, where do you want me to move? And he was like, Aurora. And I was like, are you sure? And he was like, yes, that's where I want you to move. Then it's like, uh, all right, I guess, right? I guess I'll do what you say. Like how easy would life be if God just interacted with us in that way? But I just want you to remember in the Old Testament, things like this happen so infrequently. Please don't think that this is normative, okay? Uh, God directing like this is incredibly rare in the Old Testament. God rarely gave these kinds of leadings to people and it almost always, listen, almost always happened only to the king of Israel, Almost always happened to the king, not like to everyday Israelites. That just didn't happen, okay? And it's not like David, you know, wakes up in the morning, grabs his Bible, grabs his journal, grabs a cup of coffee, sits in his easy chair, and like in his, his quiet time with God, God's just like talking to him in his prayer journal. That's not how this works either. That's not how it works. No, David, within his crew of guys, he had a priest named Abiathar. We learned about him last year as we worked through 1 Samuel. And, and, and Abiathar had what's known as the ephod. You remember this? The priestly garment or the ephod. If you're reading through uh, Exodus and Leviticus with us as a church, you read about all of this weird craftsmanship that went into this thing, okay? The ephod, okay? This priestly garment that a priest would wear and use that to inquire of the Lord. So, so David is very likely inquiring of the Lord, not like on his knees before he wake, uh, as he wakes up in the morning, but through the prescribed method, which was a priest of God. Uh, this is, I just want to point this out. This has nothing to do with anything, but you need to know this. Th this is completely different from how Saul constantly took matters into his own hands when it came to God. This is a different type of king. And I'll put it like this. How we go about doing things matters just as much as the actual thing we do. To God, the means must justify the ends. How matters with our God. 
Now, the second thing that I want to point out in verse one is that uh, it mentions Hebron. That's where uh, David is asked or commanded to go by Yahweh. And Hebron is probably the most important city in Judah at this time. Okay, Uh, here's what we know about Hebron. In Genesis 13, Abram uh, first builds an altar to the Lord at Hebron. Okay, uh, Abraham's wife, Sarah, will, be, uh, will, will die in Hebron and be buried in a cave uh, at, at Hebron. And then additionally, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Rebekah, and Leah would all be buried in that same cave in Hebron. So David is being told to leave the territory of the enemy, leave, leave the Philistine territory and return, not just to Hebron, go, go home to the place of the covenant. This is, this is an important place. God's telling David, it's time to go back to the, to the promised land, to the land that I promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So, so, so that's what David, David's being told. And it's my first point today. God is telling David to go home. It's time to come home. It's time to go home. It's time to come back to your people. Remember how I said last week that, um, that you'll never achieve the purposes of God by breaking the precepts of God? Remember that? You, you won't achieve God's purpose by breaking God's precepts. Uh, and, and that actually plays into how David uh, inquired of the Lord with uh, Abiathar and the, the priestly garment. I'll, I'll add to that the, the little alliteration of P's by saying this for this week. You'll never walk in the promises of God while living away from the people of God. You you won't walk in God's promise for you unless you are with God's people. David David is still living in enemy territory. And that matters. Because yes, God has promised that he would be king. That's the promise of God to David. David. But for a year and a half now, David's been living with the enemy. He's been living outside of the promised land. He's been actually fighting with the enemy, and he even planned on fighting against God's people, against Judah, for the enemy. And now God's call to David is, bro, let's go. It's time to come home. It's time to leave the land of the enemy and come home. So I wonder what's going on in his mind. Like, I wonder what's going on in David's mind at this point. Hey, his people probably knew that he'd been living with the Philistines. The people who, by the way, just slaughtered their king. Like, what's going on in his mind? I wonder if he's thinking this. My people know I've been living with the Philistines. I wonder if they think I'm a traitor now. I wonder if they think that I've betrayed them in some way. I wonder if they think I've betrayed my homeland and my people and even my God. I wonder if they'll hate me. I wonder if they'll reject me. I wonder if they'll even ever welcome me back. But God's message to him is, hey, let's go. It's time to come home. Come home. And I was thinking, church, I think that's applicable to to us at some level because, listen, we've got enough new people at our church uh, who've been either checking us out or whatever. And, and some of you, I know your stories, like, like you're, this is the first church you've been in in a minute. Some of you, ever. And I would guess that there might be some similar thoughts to maybe what was going through David's mind at this point for you. It's like, gosh, I'd love to come back to church. I'd love to kind of get back into that community, but, 
but I've been living with the enemy for a long time. Right, I've, I've kind of cut myself off. I haven't been following. I, I haven't been faithful. I haven't been very spiritual. I mean, I've been gone for a long time and I wonder like if I even came back, will they hate me? Like, will they reject me? What, what are they gonna think of me? Will they judge me? Will they ever welcome me into their crew? And, and I just want to assure you, with the people of God, the answer is always come home. Like no matter how far you've gone, no matter how deep in enemy territory, you, you may have been fighting for the enemy against the people of God and the message resounds, come home. Come home. Come back to the people of God. Come, come home to the promised land. Come back to the church. You, you will never walk in his promises for you while living away from his people. So David inquires and God's like, okay, it's time, it's time to leave the enemy's territory. It's time to pack it up and come home. Look at verse two. So David went up there and his two wives also, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. Now just pause. Remember, David has three wives at this point. Okay. You're like, what? Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. He's going to amass more. He'll have eight by the end of this thing. Uh, and it's a problem. We're going to touch that next week. Okay. So just pretend like a moment for a moment that three is normal. Okay. Totally normal. Verse three. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. Okay, let's pause there. The thing I want you to notice in verses two and three uh, is the completeness with which David leaves Ziklag and heads to Hebron. Like, the, it's complete separation from the enemy's territory. It says he takes his wives, but not just his wives, his 600 men and their wives and their children. And then it just throws in there for good measure and everyone in his household, like everybody, everything comes with, they all come home. And it made me think of this illustration that I heard. Uh, it, so, so you may have heard this too. Uh, this is a pretty famous illustration, but in, in 1519, so in the early 16th century, uh, there was a Spanish captain named Hernan Cortez. Cortez is spelled with an S. Sometimes we white folk put a Z at the end, okay? But it's Cortez, okay? Um, uh, he invaded onto the shores of what's known as Mexico, but then it was just known as the New World. He's a Spanish uh, conquistador. And his goal was to seek out the empire of the Aztecs, okay? The Aztecs were led by the infamous uh, Montezuma, Okay, so that's uh, the story. Cortez knew that there was an Aztec city. He knew that it was several hundred miles inland in Mexico, but he had not seen it. Now, Cortez also knew that he would face imprisonment or even death if he returned. If he returned back to Cuba, which is where he was based, then he would be uh, imprisoned or killed. And so his only alternative was to conquer and settle a portion of the land and move inward. Now, some of his men, their loyalty began to waver. They, they, their loyalty wavered, and they conspired against him to seize a ship and escape back home. 
But Cortez uh, moved swiftly, swiftly to, to quash their plans uh, to make sure this mutiny actually didn't uh, occur. Uh, Cortez famously decided to burn and sink his entire fleet of ships burned the ships with no way then to retreat. He and his men marched inland, uh, found that famed city and slaughtered all the inhabitants. Now, I am not a proponent of genocidal conquest. Okay, please don't take that from that illustration. Uh, but I think that illustrates what David did. Um, he made a complete break from the enemy's camp. They all went, they all go, they leave nothing behind. And it's my second point for us this morning. In essence, you gotta burn the ships. Yeah, you gotta come home. If you're living amongst the enemy, you gotta come home. But more than just coming back, you need to burn your method of going back to the enemy. You need to burn the ships. David makes a complete break. He's done with Ziklag. He's done with the Philistines. And listen, he's done with the chapter of his life of running from God. He's done with all those things, and he's not leaving any reason to return back there. He's not keeping his options open. He's not hedging his bets. He burned the ships. It's over. This too, I think, applies for us. Because some of you, you've come home. Maybe it's been this year. Maybe it's been in the last 10 years. You came home at some level. You came back to God's people. But is there still a part of you that's hanging back in the enemy's territory? Like, is that you? Have you, have you burnt the ships? that might tempt you to go back to, to be with the enemy. Like you've come home, but, but gosh, you're still holding on to some, some porn addiction. You, 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 you've, you've come home, but you know you're, you're, you're drinking too much, like when life gets a little stressful or, or when you just want to cut loose. Right, you've, you've come home, but you're still clinging to that unhealthy relationship from your past with that man or with that woman. And hear me, anytime you mess up in any of those arenas and you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, like every time you feel that, you feel that guilt, you feel that shame, you feel that I'm never gonna do that again. And you're going like in that moment when it happens again, you're going, God, again? How did this happen? How did I get here again? I made the promise. I promised and I took the right steps and yet here I am again. What's wrong with me? Like what's wrong? I mean, I prayed. I meant it. I talked with a pastor. I talked, I did the things and I just wonder if you were to reverse manufacture all of the things that led you to relapsing again, I wonder if you've actually burnt the ships. I wonder if you work all the way backwards if you don't have a, a foot still hanging out in enemy's territory. Some examples, okay, that I just brought up. Um, if it's porn, gosh, I meet with men and women. I don't meet with the women as much, but I hear from women uh, about this being a, still a real issue for Christians in the church. So if it's porn, 
Have you set up any real accountability with another Christian where you're not lying to them? You say, well, yeah, I, I did. Okay, if that did, wasn't enough, have you put some serious filters on your, your devices? Like not just the free ones, have you paid for some actual filters? Yeah, it's gonna cost you some money. You done that? Still not working? Hey, here's the next step. Have you thought about getting rid of your phone? You're like, wait a second, pastor. I can't get rid of my phone. I need a phone. Plus it was like $1,000. Hey, you got to burn the ships. You're like, I can't. There's no way. I, I, I can't. That's too costly. That's too much. And it's like, no, no, no. It's not, you can't. It's you won't. There's a ship and you won't burn it. How much, would you, let me, how much would you pay to be free of a porn addiction? $1,000? Would you give me $1,000 today if I could guarantee you you would never look at porn again? Seriously, how much? You need it. This, this is for you. How much? How much would you pay to be free? You want to be free? Get a dumb phone. They sell those. Okay, get rid of your TV. If your T, get rid of your cable. Get rid of the things. Burn the ships. Maybe it's not porn. Maybe it's alcohol. Everyone makes the you know sober January or dry January. Uh, you you made the promise. You you made the the resolution. I'm done drinking. You woke up that morning and you felt like garbage, and you're like, I'm done. I'm done drinking. Not working not holding yourself to you? Have, has anybody betrayed you more than you've betrayed you? You're like, I'm done with this. Not working? Here's the question. Did you get rid of all the alcohol in your house? Did you pour it all out? You're like, well, I've got a pretty decent and expensive bourbon collection. How much would you pay to be free of that? Burn the ships. Well, it's not that, pastor. It's that, it's that all of my friends on Friday night go to the bar and I don't want to lose my friends. Hey, listen, you might need some new friends. You might need some new friends. Well, hey, I, I even get tempted when I go to King Super's grocery shopping now that they sell beer and wine. Okay, stop going to the grocery store. You think that's crazy? You think that's crazy? You're like, well, I, I, you know, again, I, how am I going to get groceries? Don't be dumb. They have delivery for that stuff. They have curbside pickup for that stuff. It, it's not, you can't. Listen, I promise you, you just keep backing it up. It's that you won't. It's that there's a ship that you're unwilling to burn. Burn the ships. Burn the ships. You keep going back to an unhealthy relationship. Seemingly, uh, you know, just seeing them. What, what, I wonder what she's up to on Facebook, on Instagram. Hey, burn that ship. Block them. Delete the accounts. That's not working. Hey, again, like, it's, maybe it's not social media. Like, have you deleted their number from your phone? You're like, well, they're texting me. Okay, have you gotten a new number? Like, do, you're like, well, that's my number. I don't care. It doesn't have to be. Burn the ships. Burn the whole thing down. Where Here, it doesn't have to be those three things. Where are you saying I can't? When in reality, you're just saying I won't. 
You say, that sounds pretty costly. Yeah, welcome to the promised land. It's gonna cost you everything. I don't know who didn't tell you that, but I'm telling you that. It's gonna cost you everything. Burn the ships. Here's how Jesus, it's not just, okay, it's not just me kind of like working some pastor magic out of David, okay? This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5. I'll put it up. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Don't even keep it. I don't know why he adds throw it away, but that's wild. Cut it off throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go to hell. Now, obviously that's hyperbole. You know that? You know what hyperbole is? Hyperbole, you know what this is, okay? He, he, he doesn't mean like, like literally none of us would have hands or eyes if we took this literally, okay? But what Jesus is emphatically saying is you should be willing to take whatever drastic step is necessary to get out of the enemy's territory. Burn the ships. Why, why would you ever expect freedom from any of these things if you're still milling around the territory of the enemy? So this is David's move. Come home, and he burns every opportunity to go back to the enemy. And then finally, look at verse four. We will finish this, I promise. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. So he, he, he comes out of the enemy's territory. He burns the ships as it were, and it's there that they make him king over Judah. But just note, it's only over Judah. There are 12 tribes of Israel. This is only one of the tribes of Israel. So David is king of one twelfth of the kingdom. There are another 11 to go, which is why there are three more chapters in this section. There's a long way to go, but let's just keep going, okay? Uh, we're gonna pick it up in the second half of verse four, 4b. When they told David, it was the men of Jabesh Gilead who buried Saul. This is what was read over us. David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead and said to them, may you be blessed by the Lord because you showed this loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him. Now, may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I will do good to you because you have done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul, your Lord, is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So this is David's first official act as king of Judah. Okay, what he does is he honors the Jabesh Gileadites who had in, in 1 Samuel chapter 31 honored the body of Saul. Remember, Saul was killed by the Philistines. They had decapitated him and then they took his body and nailed it to one of their walls. And so the Jabesh Gileadites, because of something that he had done early in his reign as king, went by night at great risk to themselves. They took the bodies of Saul and Jonathan down from this wall and gave them a proper and honorable Burial. So David hears of this when he comes to become king of Judah and he commends them and he congratulates them and he blesses them for their bravery. And he just happens to mention that he's now the king of Judah and that they should join his crew. 
That's a nice little political move. I mean, it's wise in his you know, savvy kind of political stylings, but this is the kind of king that David is. He wants, to, he wants to bless and honor the men who took his enemy, the one who was hunting him, and gave him a proper and honorable burial. Again, it's just, these aren't filler chapters. They're just showing us a glimpse into who this man, David, a man after God's own heart, really was. And now let's look at verse eight uh, through verses 11, eight through 11, and then we'll finish this up. But, it's like, when there's a but in the Bible, it's like, dang. Sometimes it's a great but. This is not a good but. But, Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. And he made him king over Gilead and the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Dang. Dang it. The butt. Just things were good, man. He was on the move. David had come home to the promised land. He had cut all the ties with the enemies of the Philistines. And then... In comes Abner, but Abner. Oh man, I hate Abner. Just hate him, okay? Um, if you remember, Abner was Saul's right-hand man, the commander of his armies. And as we will see next chapter, he, uh, Abner is well aware that God has promised the kingship, not to one of Saul's sons, but to David. He knows that's God's will. And not all of Israel knew that, but Abner knew that. And so in, a, in opposition to God's will, to God's chosen king, David, Abner takes Saul's fourth son, Ishbosheth, which by the way, he wasn't at the battle where the other three sons were killed. What is he doing? Very likely it indicates that this dude is a, uh, a lame duck. Okay? He, he, he's not a warrior. He's not kingly material. Who knows what Ishbosheth was doing, but he takes his fourth son and essentially sets up a puppet regime for himself over the other 11 tribes of Israel. So Israel thinks that they're being led by the rightful heir to the throne, the son of the previous king, Saul, but they're not. They're not, and Abner knows it. And this is where I want to make my last point. See, even when you come home, and even after you burn the ships, you can expect opposition. <laughs> you can still expect opposition. The illustration I, I thought of this week is, is running. Okay, I run, some of you all run. Imagine with me for a minute that you are going for a run. Okay, you go for a run, and as you go running, you have wind at your back, like a tailwind, okay? Uh, just kind of pushing you forward, giving you a little bit of extra step. Like, like if you've ever run and you've got the wind to your back, you feel it. Like you feel like you're crushing it. You're like, you feel like you've got an extra force behind you. And you do. It's called wind, okay? It's an element. It's pretty much worthless in every other case other than running like this, okay? But you feel that way until it's time to turn around and run home. 
Because as soon as you turn uh, 180 degrees and start running into the wind, you feel sluggish and you feel the struggle and you feel the battle. Like every step feels like you're running into the wind. You know why? Because you are. Because you are. This is how it sometimes feels like to follow Jesus. Listen, sometimes it feels like the wind's at your back and you just feel like you're crushing it. Who's still reading Bible right now? New year. Hey, crushing it, right? Those of you who gave up, hey, I get it, man. Exodus and Leviticus are, well, they're interesting, all right? Read about boils this morning. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like you got the wind to your back. Other times it feels like it's a headwind. And every step is labor. Every step is toil. It feels like there's this opposite force pressing against you, trying to keep you from moving forward. You feel that? Listen, church, even when you get back with God's people and start the good and hard work of burning ships, the enemy is going to oppose that. You can expect opposition. And to me, that sounds a bit contradictory. Like that sounds kind of contrary to how I think things should work. See, normally I would think, man, if I'm in the place God wants me, doing the stuff God wants me to do, I shouldn't have to worry about opposition. That's how my brain works. I think it's probably how many of our brains work. If I'm in the right place, doing the right stuff, then surely God will keep those oppressors and and, uh, invaders off of my territory. Surely he will bless me there. But the Bible would show us something different. And I just think it's something that we need to take note of, church. Listen, even when you burn the ships to the ground, Don't expect smooth sailing. This is where a lot of us can get into trouble. I've seen it so many times with friends and members of our church that, 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 that we often determine whether or not we are in God's will based on whether we feel good or are comfortable or have no perceivable roadblocks. And like when it's good, it's good. When we got the tailwind, we are running with Jesus with all of our might. But then the headwind hits and we start to stumble. And we begin to ask, God, where are you? And I'm just saying you had a misplaced expectation. You can expect Opposition. Every big move of the Lord in my life hasn't come on smooth seas. It's always come when the waves start to chop. It always comes when the wind starts to blow. It always comes sometimes when I feel like I'm going to fall overboard and drown. but it's always come with this sweat and this tear and these, these, this, this commitment to persevering through that. So listen, it, 
if you sense any of this, that the spirit might be like pricking your heart or speaking to you in some way to come home, to burn the ships, like whatever those things might be, if you're feeling any conviction from the Holy Spirit in that, I want you to remember that you can expect opposition to that. Like expect opposition, but the message then is don't give up. Like, like, like stay, persevere. He's not against you. It's just the wind. You're still running in his will. You're still not in the territory of the enemy. Get out of there and keep running and expect opposition and push forward. We're gonna see this more in the next couple of chapters. So, so here's what I wanna do. I wanna close this out uh, this morning like this. I would guess, y'all, that there's probably some work that we need to do in here this morning. Like for me, but for, for each one of us, I would imagine that there are probably people today who you need to do a little bit of work, like in your heart with Jesus, concerning maybe one of those three things. Listen, first, some of you, gosh, you, you really need to take the first step like you're here, so maybe that was the first step, but, but maybe the message to you is, hey, come home. You've been living outside of the people of God for long enough. And the message of the church and the message of Jesus to you is, hey, it don't matter how deep into enemy territory you got, you can always turn 180 degrees and come home. See, my prayer for you is that uh, like the, the prodigal son who leaves his father's house to squander all of his fortune in licentious living, only to find himself at the very bottom, right? Like, like desiring to eat the slop that he's feeding to pigs, the dirtiest animals known to the Jews. Even in that moment, here's what the text says, Luke 15. But when he came to himself, when he came to himself. That's my prayer for some of you today. That you would come to yourself. What a sweet gift it is to be convicted by the Holy Spirit that this slop isn't worth it any longer. That the squalor isn't worth it any longer and you turn and you start coming home. God says to David, it's time to leave the Philistines. It's time to leave the enemy's territory. It's time to go to Hebron. It's time to come home. So my prayer for some of you is that you'd have the courage to come home. But then second, you might have come home. Right, you're here. You're, you're, you're part of this thing. You've been back in church, but I just, gosh, this one's real for me. It's been heavy on my heart this week, y'all. Um, are you still fooling around in the enemy's territory? Like are you keeping your options open? Or hedging your bets? Or, or maybe you've just kept one ship unburnt. If so, my prayer is that you'd burn them. You'd set a flame to those things and burn them to the ground today. Do you need to go home and pour out every bottle that you've got at home? You need to throw that vape pen in the trash and never return to it. 
need to get off social media, like completely. That might be good for all of us, but I mean, hey, do you need to get rid of your phone? These little portals of disaster for our minds and our souls? I'm serious about this. What would you be willing to pay to be free? Burn the ships. And then third, if you've done a lot of that work and you're looking around wondering, hey, when's stuff gonna start getting better? Like when's stuff, when, Lord, when is the good and right gonna start coming all of the days of my life? Like when's this gonna happen? Gosh, I would just challenge that maybe, maybe your expectations were skewed. We're just a bit off kilter of what the scriptures teach us. Like after you burnt the ships, did you really expect smooth seas? I, I wish that's how it worked. This has been a stumbling block for me in many seasons, but I want to remember Jesus' words in John 16, where he says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Not in your circumstances, in Christ, in Jesus, you can find peace. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Church, listen, the promise isn't that Jesus makes everything in your life better. The promise is that Jesus is better than life. Don't get the wrong expectation here. Expect opposition. Expect trials. Expect tribulations. Expect suffering and persevere. Keep running. Don't give up when you feel that head breeze. Keep pushing forward because he's better. He's better. Come home, burn the ships, expect opposition. Let's do some work. Let's pray together. Lord, this is no filler episode in the story of your servant, David. And Father, we are so thankful for that. That there's not a, a word that is, that is unpurposed in your holy scriptures. That there's not a jot or tittle, as Jesus said, that, that, that isn't important and that would not be fulfilled in the Christ. And so, Lord, today as we, as we study an obscure little section of this text, Lord, what great, uh, what great meaning it might have for us. Lord, the message of, of coming home, I, I pray, Lord, that there are some in this room who would hear that call from you. It may not be like from a priest with a garment saying, go to Hebron, but, but he is calling. Revelation 3 says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone opens the door, I will come in and meet with him and he with me. Lord, there might be someone here in your knock today. I pray they open the door. They come home. <laughs> Lord, for many of us, there are things, there are ships that we have yet to take serious enough to burn. And there's not meant to be shame associated with that, but there is meant to be conviction. Holy Spirit, convict our hearts to set ablaze the things that would bring us back into the territory of the enemy. What would we pay to be free? Lord, I pray that in our hearts, we would really be willing to pay whatever it costs. I pray that there would be courage from some 
to actively burn those ships and probably tell somebody about it. I don't know that you can burn a ship in private. And then finally, Lord, there are some that are expecting uh, smooth sailing once they get this thing figured out and the reality is opposition. It's the reality of life in a fallen and broken world. And so, Father, strengthen our resolve to persevere. Strengthen our resolve to keep running amidst the headwinds, amidst the trials, amidst the tribulations and the sufferings that you promise will come. But Lord, help us firm up our belief and our trust that you are better, that you are the gift and that you are where true peace is found. God, these are really important truths from a seemingly weird passage in the middle of 2 Samuel 2. Use it, Lord, for our good, for your ultimate glory. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of your spirit. Amen.